Good song. Very touching. Always. Very humbling. And certainly very truthful. So, brothers and sisters, you ready? You ready for Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10? All right, Carmen's ready. Everyone else is kind of looking down like, yeah, we're kind of ready, not ready. I don't know. What are you going to do? What's, what's the plan? <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> so, here we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And I have to tell you that it's a pretty prolific passage. It stands out. It's going to make a difference. You need to see the amazing change that God has done with you. It's an amazing change that brings a dead person back to life. It's a change that you and I can't do on our own. It requires a miracle from God. And that's just what salvation is, a miracle from God. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can lose. It's not something that we really have anything to do with other than perhaps receiving it and embracing the amazing gift that God has gave us. And even that is hard and challenging because it's very different from what we've known. And so what today's story is, is part two of what last week's story was, that it's all by grace in and through Lord Jesus. Everything, your whole life might be hard pill to swallow, might be a jagged pill to swallow, but it's a truthful pill. It's a biblical pill, if you will. It's God's word. And the word of God's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And it's that last part that's important. Much like grace, it's important to understand that, yes, it's God's unmerited favor, but grace also provides value for us. It gives us meaning and purpose, and it also kills our self-righteousness. And that's what this text really does, is it kills self-righteousness. I remember talking to a gentleman who used Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 to tell me that he chose God. And I'm like, I have no idea based on Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, especially as we read it, it's the third point on your bulletin, how that involved you. Because it really doesn't. And so we have a past, we have a present, and we have a future. And the world all has a past, present, and a future. But the difference is, is it with God or is it without God? It's a big difference there. Much like last week, we talked about, so what is your life? And then, so what is your life in Christ? Very different. It's a lot to think about. So let's pray. Let's go. Dear Heavenly Father, certainly thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for those amazing songs of worship. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for the salvation that you've brought to each and every one of us in this room. Lord, Miss certainly... In this moment, especially with a harder text, may you tune our hearts and our minds to your will in this. And certainly, while we are all going to have a lot of questions through this, may we see the simple facts and may we not rabbit trail into things that need not be rabbit trailed into. Let us understand certainly how amazing you are and that how all by grace in and through Lord Jesus is how we all ended up here today. It's how we're going to be with you tomorrow, and it's 
how we're going to be with you for all eternity. And so we thank you for everything, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, what, what page is this, Frank? 1079. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. In the blue Bibles in front of you, if you'd like to turn to page 1079. Otherwise, hopefully you have your own. And if you don't have your own, there are always free, awesome study Bibles in our entryway for you to take or for your friends. So, by grace through faith. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Does that make sense to everybody? Can we just end the sermon now? Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, brothers and sisters, point one, verse one to three, just like everyone else. That's our past. As a Christian, that's our past. If you are not in Christ, that is your present and that is your future. That's where your life begins and ends. I don't know that we look at life this way or we look at other people necessarily this way. But this is how this is in our world and our society. And you, me, and everyone else who calls themselves a disciple and a follower of the Lord Jesus, we're all at this point in our lives until that miracle happened, until that change happened in our life. And we can understand that change a little more out of this text, but it comes in the next points. So the change, certainly, make no qualms about it, is you've been brought from certain death to eternal life. That's a pretty massive change. I don't know if we all realize it. I don't know if we're all grateful for it. But I'm telling you, it's what the text says. It's what God says. It's talking about the Holy Spirit too in this. And that's the reality of the truth of where everyone's at. No one made an educated decision. The only educated decision that anyone can make after salvation is to choose to follow Jesus rather than to follow the ways of the world or continue to follow the ways of the world. So much like I wrote in the bulletin on the point, spiritually dead, living for whatever you desire without God. Your friends, your family that are not in Christ, 
Is that not the statement of truth of where they're at? Are they not living for whatever they desire? And are they not living without God? Yeah, that's where we were. My story was 35 years in darkness. Some of you, I feel, are more fortunate that you knew Jesus earlier on in your life. Maybe you didn't make as many dumb and hard decisions as you're chasing money or power or everything else. Maybe. It, it, it is a maybe, though. I, I really don't know, and only God really knows. And we can assume or make assumptions, but that doesn't ever necessarily prove anything to be true unless we hear it from the source themselves. And so until God tells you why this has all happened and why he chose you, that you'll never ultimately know. But verse 1 and, and into the first half of verse 2, the first sentence, if you will, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's the declarative statement. The other half of verse 2 and including verse 3 is the why and the, maybe the how. And while it might not make a lot of sense to some people, it hopefully will make more sense to us who are in the faith. But you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked. And why were you dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked? Because you followed the course of the world. You're following culture. Why? Because you're following the prince of the power of the air. Well, ultimately, while we're not going to go into this and, and make no mistake that certainly is talking about, you know, Satan, if you will, but ultimately you know that he has no power. And we're going to bridge that gap here when we talk about Jesus again, as he was spoken of at the end of chapter one. But you believe the lies, just like Adam and Eve believed the lies. Did God really say that? Is it really that bad if I do that? Are you sure he doesn't want... And you, and you buy into it just like you buy into the culture of the world that says survival of the fittest, the strong shall survive. And then because you're an idol factory and you're a worshiper, every human being was created to worship. We do worship. We just worship things other than our God. And that's where the culture, the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air and that spirit that's now at work, the temptation. Sin is full of temptations. Because it's all about self. It's all about me. I sure would like that. I think that would make my life better. Okay, I have to hurt somebody to get what I want, but they'll get over it. These are just simple things that maybe we say in passing as if it's no big deal, but then you're squashing and defaming other human beings in the process of getting what you think you need. And so... Paul says there in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And what that is, is we were by nature children of wrath. And so we're children of self. And we don't care who we hurt on our way to glory. And I think about that a lot in the work that I did. You know, we all have people that we work with, right? Yeah, but when you want that promotion... You want that promotion over that other person. Okay, maybe I spread a rumor about him. So what? So what? Again, again, by nature, children of wrath. This is normal. You see this in the world and you see it constantly everywhere that we go. And so 
all of mankind truly is spiritually dead. And we all live for whatever we desire, whatever temptation drives us. I love the passages in Isaiah, especially, you know, the, the, the servant songs, if you will, of Jesus. And coming in Isaiah chapter 52 and part of 53 comes up and says this about us. It says, all we like sheep are led astray, each to our own way. But God laid the iniquity of us all on him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in this. Because we are like sheep. We're all pretty dumb. And we're very easily led astray. Every day that you get home from work, you typically probably watch TV. In that TV watching, you're being influenced constantly. You're being influenced constantly by the program that you're watching, depending on what it is, and you're being influenced by marketing. The covetousness of what it is to live in the United States with all the options and opportunities that we have. And so the why is our nature. The why is sin. The why is that we're children of wrath. The bigger why in this though, and don't miss it, is that this is a life without God. And this is where all, most of our friends and family are at, that we care about. And as much as we want them to come to the knowledge of the truth and to see it, we can't really explain what God has done. This hopefully will help us explain what God has done and how we're all by nature children of wrath, bent for ourselves, sheep that are led astray, each to their own way. So how you sin is different, but make no mistake, you are a sinner because hamarsha means missing the mark. You have failed to glorify God and you are struggling to glorify yourself on a daily basis. And I can't begin to tell you the flip of this, how amazing it is when you stop struggling for yourself, you stop trying to make your identity for yourself, you stop trying to make a pattern for yourself and you embrace what God says about you and who you are and why you're here and why you have meaning and value beyond anything that you can come up with yourself. It's so true on so many different levels. We could spend hours talking about each different specific topic of where we get our identity and where we get our self-worth on a daily basis. But you have dignity, you have self-worth, you have meaning, you have purpose, you have a new identity, all in Christ. And it's a big change. And it's that choice, though, that we have to embrace this or be like, ah, it's no big deal, so what? Man, there is no so what in this. If you really understand it and you really see all that God has done to bring a selfish human being to glory with God and to be with him. And so the bigger why is you don't know God. You don't know who you are. You don't know why you're here. So you pave your own purpose and meaning to life. And that is every human being on this planet until they get to be in Christ. Moving on. Point two. This is the radical change. This is what separates, I don't know, let's be funny about it, the men from the boys. 
You know, the women from the girls, if you will. This is what separates those that are in Christ from everyone else. But God. And you're like, wait, I thought this was more. No, this is what separates everything. But God. But God worked. But God moved. But God loved. But God showed mercy. But God cared even when you couldn't care about yourself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he is who he is and that he was pleased to reveal himself to us. Even in our most desperate moments, when we had to lose ourselves to find ourselves, this is what happened. And I could say, oh yeah, it's from certain death to certain life. But God, that is why the award is so amazing to me. But God. That is why every story that I've shared with you is so amazing to me. But God worked. He did it. And that is why I sing his praises every week and every day of every week and every chance I have opportunity to. Even if I go on a vacation, even if I was to be like Jonah and go to a boat in Tarshish, like I would still sing the praises of the Lord unlike Jonah in that moment. Because, but God. That's the difference between human beings. God. Everything else is that proverbial kind of gravy, if you will. Or it's the cherry on top. It's the but God that stands out in all of this, in all of our lives, in all successes, or I guess you could say in the failures because you don't have God. Not to say that we're always successful in God, too. But understand, certainly, that but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and hostile towards him, he made us alive together with Christ. He changed us. And he changed us radically. We went from certain death, our ignorant bliss, if you will, because I very much remember in part of my life driving around in a Papa Nicholas coffee truck being like, man, is this the rest of my life? Is this the meaning of life? Am I going to just do this? Is this it? Is this where we're going? Is this what we're doing? Do I just do this for another 30 years until I retire? And I, uh, clearly God must have heard me because that was kind of a, a, a way beginning point to where we were going. It was like, oh, this guy sounds like he's ready Sounds like he's about to lose himself so that he, maybe he can find himself. But it's not always dramatic. Sometimes it's very subtle. But make no mistake that he made us alive together with Christ. And as you see from the note on your bulletin, Christ's death and resurrection are not merely events that produce benefits for us as believers. They are events in which us as believers are included. Baptism is symbolically dying to self and being raised with Christ. That's the death. The resurrection is, is that I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me and I am guaranteed that I will be with God for all eternity because of that, because of what God did, not because of some awesome thing that I did. I can still do awesome things, believe it or not, but it comes from the Lord and it's for the Lord ultimately. And so he made us alive together with Christ. So who is this Christ? 
Who is this Messiah? Who is God's anointed one in which we are now together with? We are now in. We are one, if you will. So who is this Christ? Well, this is where we go back from to part one. If you look at the last chapter, and it really starts in the, the last half of verse 19 and goes to the end of the first chapter. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So who is this Christ? Well, he's the firstborn of the dead. He's the one that started the resurrection, if you will. He's at the right hand of God the Father. All authority, all power, and all dominion are his. Every earthly name, every earthly title of kings, lords, rulers, whatever, all fall under the Christ, God's anointed one. He is eternally king of kings and lord of lords. He is savior. He's our great mediator. He is head over the universal church. He is head over everything in the world. We are as his people and as Christians, his body, his hands, his feet, his mouths, his hearts. And we all share the mind of Christ as our head and our leader. And Jesus is the fullness of God who gives everything. That's who we're bound to. That's a pretty good roll of the dice if you're a gambler. Like of all the people to be bound to, that's a pretty darn good person to be bound to, right? Amen. Thank you, Carmen. I was looking for an amen. Because a lot of people are, don't take Jesus for who Jesus really is. And that's the foundational problem of the faith. They have not been revealed, or it has not been revealed to them exactly who Jesus is and the Son. And so that's who the Christ is. Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, guy born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross taking a punishment that he didn't deserve in an effort to save people that truly don't deserve it. How amazing a testimony and a story is that in our lives? It's not something you hear on the streets. Because remember, everyone's about themselves. Everyone by nature, their own inherent nature, their inside is a children of wrath. All wrath-filled. So, Looking at this text again, though, too, in verse 4 through 7, let me ask you this. Why were we saved? Does it say because you did something awesome and God took a liking to you? Or it says, but God. And then it says, because he's rich in mercy. And then it says, because of the great love with which he loved us. And then it also adds the why in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. God's going to show and use you to bring other people to him. Don't be naive and think that 
God's not going to use you. Those three stories I told you this morning, I hope help improve upon that, that faith. God's used us amazingly. I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Because well, did I do this? Did I? I was like, yeah, this is a good idea. Or did this happen that led to that, that led to that, that led to that? And oh, you're wrong here, so I'm just going to close the door. And then I'm going to open it up over here so that you get back on track. Yeah, it's that latter one. And I see that, that the end result is always going to be the same in the end. But the path that I take to get to that final destination can vary and be different based on my choices. Am I going to follow the will of my Lord and Savior who, you know, showed me amazing mercy, who loved me with a great love that I can't even explain because it doesn't really exist here on earth? That someone who hates you, I'm going to die for and bring you into my kingdom and make you an heir with me? That's not normal. That's not cultural. It sounds like point one. <laughs> right? But this, this is point two. This is what God does. But God, so different from everything else that we know, so different. And so we were saved because God loved us, because God had mercy, because God is different, and because God wants to show us or use us for to bring others to salvation in him as well. And so, Understand this, though, certain death from point one to certain eternal life in point two, all by grace, in and through Lord Jesus, all by grace. It has to be. I can't do that. As much as I've tried to bring people back to life, as much as I don't want to say goodbye to people that I love and I care for, I can't stop it. I can't stop them from dying. It's impossible, and it's just hard. And honestly, if I think about it, I could probably start crying because I don't want to say goodbye to people that I love and I care for, but I have to. But if they're in Christ, I don't need to, ever. It's just until next time, until we're all together again. And when people come and people go as part of the local body of the church, if we're in Christ, it's never goodbye forever. But for those who are without God, they will continue to stay without God. And there will be no rejoicing with God in heaven. And heaven is primarily where God is. It's where he resides. And so it's always this simplified with God, without God. That's life as you see it. That's people as we know it and as we know them. And so now we get to the, the memory verse that everybody knows and everybody loves and most people probably have written on their heart. I'll even stand back. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's written. It's written on my heart, if you will. 
It's written on the core of who I am. And so, we see this. You read those two statements that I included in the bulletin, and then you see that part about faith. I wanted to include that because there's a massive misconception about people being like, yeah, I chose Jesus. I have the faith. I did it. But reading this truth, it's, it's not about the confidence that we have. It's about what God has done in this. And so, salvation ultimately produces works. Works does not produce the salvation. You see that very clearly in this passage. Remember that. Remember that because there's a whole lot of people doing religion this morning. There is a whole lot of people trying to earn their own righteousness in order to get in front of the Father. There is a whole lot of people struggling and failing in the world of religion that are crushing themselves because I do that. It's very human. That's point one. By nature, children of wrath, following the course of this world. I do that. I remind you kids when they're potty training, go to the bathroom. I do that. That's about our best works. And in Scripture... In Scripture, I'm going to be gross with you in a minute for a minute because I just thought about it. I'll have to look up where it is again. But God does say our best works apart from Him are like a dirty menstrual cloth. <laughs> oh, there you go, Carmen. That sums it up. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't make this up. I have no business, and much like I have no business lying to anybody or trying to control or hurt anybody. But I want everyone to be real when it comes to God. I'm tired of the, the fake games that exist outside in the world. But very much so, our best works are like a dirty menstrual cloth. Yikes. Yikes. And that's what the Lord says about our good works. But here you see that God has a plan. And there's a future. And that God has prepared us a way to walk within him. So, grace provides our value and kills our self-righteousness. I said that in the beginning, and I said that again, and I'm probably going to say it one more time. But grace ultimately provides our value and our worth, and it kills self-righteousness. When that gentleman told me, and I don't, I, 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 really, like, this is, must be blinders on. It literally says, this is not your own doing. But the guy was literally arguing, no, I did that. I chose God. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith. Yeah, I have the faith. I built the faith. I did that. But it says right there, this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. You can argue till the cows come home. I think that's really the point that I wanted to make with that statement is that we can argue about it, but we need to embrace the word for the word. You cannot cherry pick what is true and what is false. It is all entirely true or it is all entirely false. But I know him in who I believe. And I trust that this is his word. It has radically changed me. As much as I quoted the Hebrews passage that also is written on my heart, it has pierced to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. And it has discerned the thoughts and intentions of my heart. I've learned a lot through the word. And then when you apply it to seeing the world for what it is, and then seeing the world through God's eyes, it's amazing. Faith, faith is the gift of God. 
Faith ultimately is the glue that binds us to Christ. Without that faith, you have nothing. But having that faith is everything because you are with Christ. You are in Jesus. And so that last section of the faith section on your bulletin reads, it's always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, faith for the believer is God's divine persuasion and therefore distinct from human belief, confidence. Yet it involves it. The Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer so they can know what he prefers. For example, the persuasion of his will. That's why I also told you about just those simple little things this morning, those three little stories. Those are all faith builders within me because I'm like, this is too cool. This is way God's providence working. Like, why are these people coming here to be married? And how cool is that, that they're getting married at the same place I was, which is a little Japanese tea garden at the corner of Fabian and 31 in Batavia. Like, that's nuts to me. But when they told me that, a tear welled out of my eye, and I was like, it's God-inspired. It's God-inspired. And seeing things like that continually build faith within me. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you have to see. I don't know if maybe your son picks up a Bible that you're like, what are you doing picking up a Bible? Well, I'm surprised you didn't spontaneously combust and catch on fire. This is amazing. Praise the Lord. Maybe it's something simple like that. But who knows? But whatever it is, God is giving you the faith to believe that he is God and that he is with you and that he's working. And it continues to happen like that. And so those examples of our lives and, and that faith, the glue that binds us to Christ, that we may be found in him, understand that we are the result of God's activity. And that we are created to do good as God prepared for us to do. And remember that when you're looking for you know, definitions of good, don't go by human definitions. Go by godly definitions of that. What is good in God's eyes is not necessarily what is good in your eyes. And if I was to go around the room and be like, list five things to me that are good for you, you would all come up with five things. Maybe some would be similar. And then some of you would probably argue about some of the things that you said are good because I'm like, that's not good, that's bad. You should put that, you put that in the wrong category, man. And so when you have an objective point, like the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it, and when you live in earth where the creator has created it and you have an objective viewpoint, I would take that objective viewpoint because what you're left with otherwise is Point one, every single one of us with a different desire and a, and a different purpose and a different definition of what is good. It's subjective to our own experiences. Objective God, subjective human beings. It's a big difference there. And so to sum it up, right? Love Jesus, love people. I love those sweatshirts. Where'd you guys get those? Those are amazing. <laughs> but the gospel brothers and sisters has always been about change it's always been about change and choice that follows change from an old way of life without jesus as we see from the first point 
to a new way of life with Jesus, as we ultimately see in the third point, that God's prepared a walk for us. God has prepared things that are good for us to go through. Now granted, again, our definitions of good and God's definition of good are different, but if you understand God's definition of what is good and you understand his plan of salvation and why you're here and what's wrong with the world and what God ultimately wants, which is the salvation of the sinner, people to come back to him, everything else in your life, line it up with that, and odds are it's going to go good. <laughs> However, in this choice, regarding what we do with our new status in Christ is a really important part of the message. With regards to change and choice, one cannot exist without the other. Ephesians is filled with prayer and praise for our great and sovereign God. We've only gotten into the first 10 verses of the second chapter, and there's six chapters, and man, that first chapter is God-glorifying. Even this passage is God-glorifying. And we've still got like four and a half, four and three quarters of chapters to go. This is going to be great. But it's filled with prayer and praise for our great and sovereign Lord, who shows us, especially as we worship him, which is the right thing to do, that one cannot become a new creature without acting like one. You either are a new creature or you aren't. There's no, oh, I go to service on whatever. Like you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. Plain and simple. But the knowledge of knowing how to act as a new creation can only come if you recognize the amazing change that God has done in your lives. Until you see that, you're like, meh, meh, it's okay. It's nice. Feel a little tingly sometimes. Looking for a feeling, right? A lot of people looking for that feeling, but this is the reality of the truth. I know you're real. You know you're real. I know God is real. And I know Jesus changes lives. And it's when he changed that life that the choices to walk in righteousness started to blossom, started to flourish. And so, I repeat what I said. Change in choice, one cannot exist without the other. Also, one cannot realize that we are a new creature without acting like one. And that knowing how to act can only come if one recognizes the great change brought about in new life in Christ. Change from an old way of life without Jesus to a new way of life with Jesus. And it's not like, a oh, we just do it on Sunday mornings kind of thing. It's 24-7. It's every day of the week. This is a great thing that we do on Sunday mornings, but it's not the be-all, end-all thing that we do. In fact, I would say, you know, growth groups might hold a little more of a value because they are where we can have conversations and build each other up rather than you just listening to some guy talk for a while. And hopefully it's a good talk. They're not always great, but hopefully. Or, again, regarding what we do with this new status, uh, it's an important part of the message. So, brothers and sisters, I'm rambling. I love you all. I love Jesus even more, though. And ultimately, I hope we can recognize the massive change that God has done in our lives. And I hope the heart of gratitude to, to really see and really acknowledge and really understand 
the amazing work that God has done from spiritually dead to becoming spiritually alive is, is truly awe-inspiring. But a lot of times we oversimplify it. Jesus died for me. There's so much more than that. And as the growth group is, is showing and as the texts continue to show, God has done an amazing thing. And I hope that, again, our hearts of gratitude, that we can see that this is all by grace in and through the Lord Jesus, that we're here and this is where we're at. And this is how we got here. And God is worthy of praise and he is worthy of worship and he's worthy of our love and he's worthy of respect. And based on what God says, I can relate to my life and how I look at all the other human beings. I understand people so much better based on God's text too. I understand where we're all at, where we all came from, how most people don't know their left hand from their right hand, and especially when it comes to things that are spiritual. And unfortunately for a lot of people, they're doing that religion and they're trying to be something that they're not. They, they know of a God, but they don't know God. And that's the massive difference is we know and we walk with Jesus on a daily basis. This isn't some fun activity. This isn't some unique club to join. This is the reality of the truth of our lives as those who are adopted sons and daughters and now made heirs with the Lord Jesus because he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Give me another God that does anything like that. Give me another God that isn't just like another human being where they want to fight and take control and have power and lord their lordship. Jesus is so worthy of praise. Love him. I got to stop. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, certainly thank you for the blessings of today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace in our lives. Thank you for giving us meaning and purpose and hope and faith and love and every other thing that goes along with it. Thank you for the fruits of the Spirit that are continuing to grow in us, that we may continue to enjoy our lives as lives that are led for your glory and our good. And so, Lord Jesus, certainly uh, may what was said this morning be planted in our hearts and may it by the Spirit be applied to our lives that we may continue to walk well with you, Lord Jesus. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.